Into the wild I'll go and into the wild I am It's been a while, freedom child Since I left my roots back home Into the wild I'll go Into the wild I am It's been a while, freedom child Since I left my roots back home Welcome to the Free Birth Society podcast. This is a radical space for women who are ready to celebrate their autonomous choices in birth, motherhood, and beyond. Together, we'll learn about wild birth through personal narrative, we'll explore the politics of birth, and we'll analyze everything that relates to our lives as women from a feminist perspective. Here's your host, Emily Saldana. It's been a wild freedom Today, as a part of our three-part series, we have attorney Kara Dansky speaking on feminism, the executive order we are currently protesting, and why it is inherently anti-women and anti-girls, what compelled speech means for our society, and so much more. Please tune in and then take action. You can go to womenpicketdc.org to learn more. Kara, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks, Emily, for having me. Yeah, thank you. It's it's a real honor to sit with you and, and talk about this in such a such a significant time in history. So let's just start from the beginning. Who are you and and how did you come to be who you are today in this work? Well, thanks for asking. I would say that um First of all, I'm a feminist, and I have been a feminist for as long as I can remember, and I'm a lawyer, and when I went to law school, it was with the somewhat vague idea that I wanted to do work in the public interest realm, and I didn't have a more specific idea of what that would mean. And when I graduated from law school, I still didn't have a very specific idea of what that would mean. But I had a job in the federal court system, and that brought me to criminal justice work. And I became a public defender, and I spent about 20 years or so working in the criminal justice sector. And at around 2014, uh, I came back to my feminism. And I did that by sitting with a, a really dear friend who's a radical feminist lesbian. And we were talking about a lot of things. And the topic of transgender came up in conversation. And she explained to me why protecting, quote unquote, transgenderism in the law is detrimental to the rights, privacy and safety of women and girls. And it kind of blew my mind. Because up until that point, for decades, uh, I had been sort of traveling along in traditional liberal circles, doing the sort of traditional liberal lefty things. And I kind of just went along for the longest time thinking that transgender 
meant something revolutionary and transformative. And I thought that it was completely in alignment with feminist principles. Mm. And this friend of mine in having this conversation in 2014 blew my mind by explaining to me how exactly the entire notion of transgenderism is actually completely contrary to the fundamental values and principles that underlie feminism. So that prompted me to do some research. I went back to my texts that were still in my bookshelf from college and law school, my feminist texts, and I revisited them and really had a sort of a sense of coming home to myself as a woman and as a feminist. Hmm. And I joined the Women's Liberation Front in 2015. I eventually joined the board of the Women's Liberation Front in 2016, resigned from the board of Wolf in 2020, and started getting very actively involved in the Women's Human Rights Campaign at an international and at a national level. And I really feel like this is, a, this is an extremely important moment for women and girls fighting for the rights, privacy, and safety of women and girls. And I'm very proud of the work that I did while I was at Wolf. And I'm very proud of the work that I have been doing with the Women's Human Rights Campaign. And I'm very excited about the work that is before us in 2021. Hmm. Yeah, I'm wondering about that conversation you had with your with your radical feminist friend and, and that moment and how that was explained to you because that is part of of what I want to do with with these episodes and, and with my own work is be be that catalyst for for um women to really take a, a deeper look, a more critical look, um, and connect these dots. So could we go back to that and and could you explain um, a little bit about why, like you said, why transgenderism is is counter to the values of of essentially female liberation? Yeah. And before that, to be honest, I hadn't really given it too much thought. I just kind of went along with it because it was what my liberal friends were going along with. It was what my political party was going along with. I just thought that it was the thing to do. And I do think that at some level, I was, as a feminist, I was very interested in breaking down sex-based stereotypes. I was very interested in breaking down the notion that, for example, if you like pink, you have to be a girl. And if you like blue, you have to be a boy. And, you know, that's just sort of feminism 101. And I think that on some level, I thought that transgender meant breaking down those boundaries. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think that I thought that it was a good thing. But what my friend explained to me is that, no, <laughs> it has nothing to do with that. In fact, the bottom line is that women are female and men are male. And it's not more complicated than that. And what we need to be doing is abolishing those stereotypes. That's the right way to go. But transgender, so-called, isn't actually doing that. It is the opposite of that. It is, in fact, extremely regressive mm -hmm. in that, you know, for example, when you listen to adult males 
who claim to identify as transgender, what they will often say is that when they were little kids, they liked the color pink, they liked to wear their mom's outfits, they liked to wear high heels. And really, there ought to be nothing wrong with a little boy who wants to play around mm-hmm. with different outfits. Um, there's currently today, there's a little boy who lives in Texas and it's a very tragic story. It's public, so I can talk about it. And this little boy, he really likes to wear princess dresses and sing Let It Go from the movie Frozen. And his dad is really encouraging of that. His dad lets him run around wearing a princess dress and sing Let It Go from Frozen. And his mom, on the other hand, says that because he likes to wear a princess dress and sing Let It Go from Frozen, that he is actually a girl. (sighs) And this little boy is like eight years old or something. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a sad story. But I bring it up to illustrate that we ought to be abolishing these types of stereotypes. But what the transgender movement wants us to believe is that if there's a little boy who likes to wear princess dresses and who likes to sing Let It Go from Frozen, that he is in fact a girl. And that goes against everything that feminism stands for. Well, because it actually doubles down on the stereotypes. It doesn't free us from them. Thank you. Exactly. Yes. And my friend broke this all down for me. And I'll give you a phrase that she said. It's a little bit graphic. I don't know how graphic you get. It's not, it's not obscene or anything. It's just a little bit. Okay. She said, Kara, think about it. It's the ultimate penetration by men of women's bodies. Yeah. And that just made my mind explode. And at that point, there was no going back. <sighs> right. We need to be expanding and pushing the envelope of like that really it's gender that harms us. It, it's the constructs of gender, not sex, right? It's the, it's the stereotypes of gender that are harming us. That's such a big deal. That, that you said, like this mother in Texas who is affirming uh, or not even affirming, planting the um, concept that this boy could be in a wrong body for just not following the stereotypes yeah. that he's been born into, you know, that, that makeup is just for girls or that nail right. polish is just for girls. What a, what a way to miss the mark. Yeah. Yeah. And what this little boy is doing, I I should think, is experimenting with his own creativity and his own personality and his own sense of expression. And none of that makes him not a boy. And, you know, feminists have been saying for decades that we need to, it is in the interests of women and girls that we teach boys to explore their softer sides, to explore their more creative or emotive sides. And this boy is doing that. <laughs> and as a response, we're, we're culturally kicking him off the team. Yeah. We're saying, oh, then you're not on the boy team. Right. You know, you have to go join that other team. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And that's part of why this is really so, so dangerous. I mean, obviously it's dangerous because the course of puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones and surgeries 
is um, just obviously extremely dangerous for young people, whether we're talking about minors or young adult people. These young people whose brains are not fully formed are making decisions that they are really not prepared to make that are going to have life-altering consequences. And so it's obviously very dangerous from the perspective of young people's physical and emotional health, but it's also very dangerous on a societal level because this, this ideology is teaching us that, again, if a boy likes to wear a dress and sing Let It Go as a princess, that he's not a boy. And there's something deeply wrong with that in the sense that it is warping our sense of material reality. Yeah. Yeah. And right, to, to go a step further, it, it reduces womanhood, girlhood to a feeling. Yeah. Right. So if womanhood is a feeling, then it can be played. It can be enacted. It can be, um, it can be taken over. Yeah. But it get. I mean, it's even worse than that from my perspective as an attorney. And I've studied this throughout the last several centuries of United States law. We know, for example, that at the founding of this country, even before it was a country, when the Europeans came over and colonized, literally all of the power and the land was stolen, first of all, from indigenous people and given to white European men on the basis that they were white European men. Nobody was confused. (laughs) Nobody was confused about the fact that they were white European men. And then as the centuries wore on, and we eventually became a republic, not a single state in the republic allowed women to vote. Nobody was confused about that. Everybody understood that all of the power was in the hands of men, and everyone understood what the word men meant and what the word women meant. Not a single state allowed women to vote. And nobody was confused about who was excluded from the franchise. Women were not, were not permitted to participate in juries. Women were not, in many instances, permitted to own property. Women were not permitted to own businesses. Women were limited in their abilities to divorce their husbands if their husbands were abusive or otherwise. And nobody was confused about what these categories meant. And so now, for us to have endured centuries of discrimination on the basis of our sex, to be told that our sex is irrelevant is just astonishingly, um, I, I don't even know what the word is. It's just, it's, it's brazen to now argue that sex is irrelevant when we know that it's not. It's gaslighting. Well, and it, it's kind of like what you said earlier about before you, you woke up to this. I, I get the sense from, from people who are for this agenda that there is this flavor to it of progressive, like a new world where sex doesn't matter and where, um, where anything can be anything and where anyone can be anyone. And it's this, that it, it seems like it's, it's put out as this. Yeah, like new consciousness of of not being trapped by the oppressive nature, essentially, of patriarchy. The problem is it doesn't actually play out that way. And in 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 how that ideology is actually affecting 
the world and women and girls and what we're going to get into with the order, it, it's, it's an illusion. It's delusional. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, it gets... So, so sometimes these conversations can feel a little bit abstract and, but, but it's, but they're not abstract. They get very practical. And so if I could just offer a practical example, uh, there was a man and I don't know his name, uh, but I first encountered him at a restaurant in November of 2019 and he was very obnoxious. And I was talking to a friend at the bar in the restaurant. And this man came up and he got, he was very much in my physical space and it was very uncomfortable. And it turned out that he was wearing a dress, which is fine and a lot of makeup and he had pink nail polish and that's all cool. And he was carrying all these purses and tote bags with him and that's all fine. And uh, eventually I, you know, I went into the women's room and he was in there. He was in there. And so I left and I didn't encounter this man again until the summer. And in the summer, over the course of June, July, and August, the last time I saw him was August, he spent the summer uh, scooting around Washington, D.C. on a scooter wearing a, a pink bikini and a very long blonde wig and wearing a lot of makeup and a lot of nail polish. And he harassed me on the street three times I've talked to numerous people that he approached on his scooter and he, you know, essentially demanded that they give him large sums of money. And he was just, he was horrific. And it was just awful to have to deal with this man on the street. And so I, I share that because in a society where we say that that is okay and that, that, that he gets to be considered a woman, which he did demand to be considered a woman, every time he harassed me on the street, he thrust a flyer into my face that said, trans women are women. This is a dangerous thing to do to women and girls. And he was just permitted to get away with this all summer. Again, I haven't seen him since August. I hope that we're done with him. But that's what we're looking at. That's what we're dealing with. We're not dealing with some marginalized community of people who are oppressed on the basis of some actual material status. We're dealing with an ideology that enables men and women to lie to all of society and tell Mm. all of us that they are something that they are not. Mm -hmm. I wasn't kidding when I said this is gaslighting. This Mm -hmm. is gaslighting and it's abuse of our entire society. Yeah, I'm th- I'm thinking about the conversations I've had with some women who are new to this concept and a really common kind of response to me is well what makes you think that trans women so-called trans women you know what they would call trans women um would be unsafe in women and girls spaces like why are you making up some some horrible narrative that trans women who just want to be safe like you do um why are you projecting this story that they would be unsafe? And I wonder if you could speak to that because the the media has done such a good job of not highlighting the many assault cases of trans-identified males to women in female spaces where they've been allowed access. And this is one of those things, almost like, 
all female oppressive issues, you really have to go looking for them. They're not, they're not falling in your lap to learn about. And so I have gone looking for them and I've seen the stories and I've talked to the women and I've, I've, you know, saturated myself with, with react, with the actual experience of, of, you know, what women have to say. But I, I, I wonder what you would say to that, um, you know, either from a lawyer's perspective or, or a feminist perspective. Um, because I think, you know, very well meaning women have fallen for this, like, yeah, just this story that, that like, of course, bleeding heart, like, of course we need to allow them in, like, they're going to get hurt. They're going to kill themselves. They're going to, they're going to um, get beat up. Like we, we should definitely let them in. And why would you make up some story that they're unsafe? I would ask, what do you mean by they? What is, what is the population that you're referring to in that question when you say they? Trans-identified males that say they're women. The operative word there being male. Right. I mean, that's really what this comes down to. We're, we're talking, or I guess they would say trans women. Yeah, and I would say, what do you mean by that? Literally. <laughs> To basically get them to acknowledge that it's males. So it's no secret that there's an epidemic of male violence against women in the United States and globally. And that is true for, you know, that's true across the board in all countries. And there have been studies that show, so two things, sorry. One, There's a study that shows that men who quote unquote transition, and I hate using that word because there's no such thing as changing sex, but we know what I mean by that. Men who take the hormones and have the surgeries to cut off their genitalia, offend and commit acts of violence and sex crimes at the exact same rates at men who don't, which is not to say that all men commit crimes, you know, we know that that is not the case, but it is to say that across the board, the, the, the medical and physiological quote unquote transition does not change Hmm. uh, crime rate amongst the male population. But the other thing is that the overwhelming majority of quote unquote trans women I don't use that term either, but I'll use it here for the purposes of making the point. Approximately 80% do not undergo any of those medical or physiological changes anyway. They're just men. (laughs) Self-fighting. Yeah. But even the 20% who do undergo these hormones and surgeries still commit crimes at the same rate as men who don't. So, you know... Feminists aren't making up a narrative. These statistics are out there. They're, they're very well known or, or they could be well known. As you said, often they're, they're not really well discussed. We don't discuss, for example, the fact that, um, you know, three or four women will be killed today by an intimate partner or former intimate partner every day in this country, every day. I've also seen this thing happen in the queer community that when a trans identified male harms a woman, they take on this narrative 
like, oh, that wasn't really a trans person. That was just a guy wearing a dress. And that I find that pretty interesting. I've observed that quite a bit. Right. Or someone will say that's an outlier or an anomaly mm-hmm, exactly. and don't use that to demonize all quote unquote trans people. And my response to that is, first of all, again, what do you mean by trans people? And second of all, how many women is too many women murdered? You know, right. if there's a guy who's wearing a dress or having blonde, you know, long blonde hair and wearing makeup, whatever, whatever, however he's dressed, um, harming, raping, killing a woman how many is too many? Yeah. We hear this argument frequently about prisons, mm-hmm. right? Every once in a while, we'll hear a story about a male, a man, who, quote unquote, identifies as a woman getting housed in a women's prison who is statistically likely to have a record of violence and sex crimes harming a woman in prison and someone will say, well, that's just an outlier. All right. How many women raped in prison is too many women raped in prison? Right. If one isn't too many, I don't know, is two too many? Five? How many women are we going to sacrifice at the altar of this ideology? All of them. It seems to be the answer. I mean, there, there doesn't seem to be any continually now in 2021 we find ourselves just as, um, what's the right word? Blissfully ignorant to the reality of the, the lived experience of, of being a girl and a woman, you know? And that, like we said about part of the issue is, is not to double down on gender stereotypes. It's to, it's to free gender stereotypes. And obviously the other issue is that men harm people. No one's talking about that. And I guess maybe just because it feels so overwhelming, like it feels so impossible, but this is the genius of the oppressor, right? Where all the oppressed people turn on each other and fight. Yeah. It's just like, it just happens again and again in history and we're just seeing our own climate of it. Yeah, it is true that the statistics on suicide are manipulated there, to my knowledge, there's one study on suicide of quote-unquote trans-identified people, and there are some serious methodolo- methodological flaws in that study, one of which is that all of the study um, participants are self-identified, right? They just said, you know, hi, I'm a trans person. Um, another of which is the questions were worded very vaguely. They talk about attempted, or um, they the, the questions had to do with asking questions around, have you considered suicide? And, you Mm. know, the study is very flawed methodologically Mm -hmm. and it's frequently misquoted. And yeah, no, that's exactly right. And on the topic of male violence, and I forget exactly what you said, but women are frequently blamed for this, right? Women who speak out about this topic are told that we are going to cause people to die. Oh yeah. And it's re- it's it's just absurd. It's just absurd. I I had a longtime friend who by the way is a mother. She has three boys and I've known her since 7th grade and she unfriended me on Facebook and she probably won't ever talk to me again because she posted on Facebook 
about a murder that took place in Indianapolis, Indiana, of a man who claimed to identify as a woman. And my friend said that J.K. Rowling is to blame because of her essay from last summer. Yeah. Right. The power. Yeah. And I said, look, I, I had gone a few rounds with her on gender before and I knew, you know, I knew where she was coming from. And I didn't even go there. I just said, look, whatever you think about gender, blaming J.K. Rowling for a murder that took place in Indianapolis, Indiana, is patently absurd. Yeah. And she unfriended me on Facebook. You know, I, I experienced this being being a, a voice for women's autonomy in the birth world because I have a platform that highlights stories of women who choose to birth outside the system. I'm 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 for it as a viable option. I don't think it's the only way. I, you know, it's not like that. It's just it's 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 up to each woman. I want to see a world where a woman is supported to make her own decisions. Crazy. And I am often blamed when a baby dies anywhere. If this woman has intersected with the concept of free birth in any way, or has listened to my podcast, or has, it doesn't matter, has been in my old Facebook group, I'm who killed that baby. Mm. And I won't even know these people. I mean, of course, right? There's there's actually no connection to be made from a logical, truthful point. And and it it's just, yeah, it's the same, it's the same setups, you know, all all throughout across all these these different climates. It's just so it is, it is patently absurd. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So let's shift into the order. And I just want to basically open it up with what is it and why does it matter? Mm -hmm. Okay, so by the order, you are referring to the executive order that President Biden signed on the day of his inauguration to, quote unquote, eliminate discrimination on the basis of gender orientation and of gender identity and sexual orientation. And this order does essentially two things. First of all, One thing that it does not do is change existing law. So as of today, Friday, February 19th, 2021, existing administrative law on sex discrimination has not changed. The order did not do that. However, it did two things that are absolutely terrible for women and girls. First, it sets out a policy. And this policy says It shall be the policy of the United States government to define the word sex to include gender identity when it appears in administrative law. That's the basic gist of the policy. And in doing so, it completely misinterprets a ruling from the Supreme Court from last summer called Bostock that some of your listeners may have heard of where the Supreme Court said that employees are protected from discrimination on the basis of their so-called transgender status. The Supreme Court, in issuing its ruling, did not in any way define what it might have meant by the phrase transgender status. We're all just supposed to know what it means. And 
what President Biden has now done with this order is taken that ruling and expanded it throughout administrative law by way of policy. By administrative law, I basically mean the executive branch's regulations. It's complicated, but that's the gist of the policy. The second thing the order does is it tells every administrative agency. So we're talking about the Department of Education, the Department of Housing and Urban Development, the Department of Health and Human Services, every federal agency, that the agencies have to now go forth and look at their own policies and regulations and find every instance of the word sex and change the policies and regulations so that sex is defined to include gender identity. And within 100 days of the issuance of the order, and 100 days is April 30th, 2021, all of these agencies are required to produce a plan to the White House for how they will redefine sex to mean gender identity. So that's basically what the order is. And so so my interpretation of that is that these agencies have been required to come up with a plan by April 30th, 2021, for how to define women out of existence. Uh, <laughs> because also this will come down to self-ID since there's no way to prove anything. It's not going to require, and correct me if I'm wrong, like, it, like in the California prisons currently, it's just self-ID. It's not like you have to, I, I totally get that you can't actually transition, but it's not like you have to, air quotes, attempt to prove it. True. You know, with, with, with the stuff, with the cutting off your genitals or, or changing your name or what, whatever it may be. Is that correct? That it, because it's undefinable, and my understanding is it's pretty undefined in the in the order itself, it would then default to self-ID. You're right that gender identity is not defined in the order itself. And you're also right that it would it would end up with self-ID. It the order itself does not say self-identification. So as right. a technical matter, we're in a slightly different position than the UK is in. But yes, ultimately this would mean self-ID. Or and the reason. Yeah, the reason I'm I'm wanting to really point that out for our listeners is that's really dangerous. That that creates the possibility for easy access for predators, batterers, pimps. I mean, all the people, all the men that hurt women and girls can no longer seek refuge in a shelter. Can no longer um, have a female only prison cell you know, can no longer, I mean, the list just goes on. You know, there's there's the more like everyday stuff, like, um, you know, our little daughters will be, you know, putting in their tampons or pads next, you know, with boys in the, in the, in the locker room with them or, or be getting, or be expected to get naked in front of them and, and see them with a penis between their legs as other girls. Um, like you said, I mean, the ultimate gaslighting, um, but that self-ID piece it really stands out to me for the level of takeover that this is because if there's no... And I get it's complex because there is no proof, but like if there's not even an attempt for proof, like 
then anyone can be anything and any man can follow anyone and just say, no, I'm a woman, let me in and it's done. There's no, there's no preset. There's no pretense. There's no framework for female only spaces. So I really want you all to hear this and get this because if there is nowhere where women and girls can be without men and boys, which there almost already isn't, like this, this is, there, there's no words. There's no words for how scary this is and how upsetting this is. Yeah, there's no safeguarding at all. There's just no safeguarding for the rights, privacy, and safety of women and girls. And in fact, it's the opposite. It's actually open door. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And to, to your, your point in urging your listeners to understand the monumental nature of what happens, what's happening here Something that Lear Keith, who I know was a guest on your podcast recently, something that she often says is the worst part of all of this is no one believes us. Women mm. have been talking about this for years and no one believes us. And here we are and it's happening. The president has, has, uh, you know, issued his ruling, his, uh, order. And uh, the Equality Act was reintroduced in Congress yesterday. It will probably pass the House next week. And then we have to fight it out in the Senate. And no one believes us. Everyone thinks we're just a bunch of hysterical old ladies (laughs) making a big deal out of nothing. But we're making a big deal out of the rights, privacy, and safety of women and girls. And the problem is that the reason that no one believes us about this is that at the end of the day, I really am not convinced that anybody cares. Exactly. Exactly. Or they've, they've been brainwashed into thinking it's not so bad for us. And there are more marginalized men who need our spaces. Yeah. But, you know, could I, could I just tell a a brief personal story that I think your listeners might appreciate? Um, so so this is, a, this is, I promise this is an absolutely true story and it, and it matters for purposes of this conversation. And here's what happened. So in this story, I'm 13 years old and I'm at an amusement park on a hot summer day with my friend who's wearing a white t-shirt and white shorts. We're both 13 and we're with our moms and we're walking from one ride to another ride and I'm walking with my mom and we're behind my friend and her mom and I notice all of a sudden that the back of my friend's white shorts are covered in blood, right? We know what we're talking about. So um, her first time, first time. So, you know, starting your period the first time is very psychologically and emotionally complicated for most of us in lots of different ways. But starting your period for the first time at an amusement park on a hot summer day, wearing white shorts, surrounded by strangers. My friend was absolutely mortified. So we all kind of scurried around her and we all scurried to the women's room. You know, this is obviously decades ago. I'm I'm old at this point. But um, so we scurried to the women's room and we're at the sink and my friend's mom says, take off your shorts. And she does. And my friend's mom is scrubbing her shorts in the sink while my friend stands there in her blood soaked underwear, sobbing, just (laughs) sobbing. And her, and this is why this story is so important. Her mother looked at her and said, don't worry, honey, we're all women here. 
we all understand what you're going through. And that was true at the time. But the reason that that is so important is that very last phrase. We all know what you're going through because no person born male has any idea what my friend was going through that day. Even if you believe that trans women are women, even if you believe that this is a marginalized group of people, if we let male-born people into women's spaces, no mother will ever be able to say to her daughter, don't worry, honey, we all know what you're going through. Because that would be a lie. Yeah, I'm just, I'm hearing these stories in our community of men showing up to women's song circles and, you know, men coming out as midwives and birth photographers because they wear a dress and because they've changed their pronouns. And uh, yeah, you know, something I think on a lot is I have known the magic and the benefit is an understatement of female only spaces since I was very young and I have spent, I left home really young at 16 and and started my life and got kind of adopted by this older group of, of women. And I have known a life of women's circles and song circles and healing circles. It's going away. You know, and those of us who are trying to gatekeep this, you know, are just, yeah. Yeah. Like you already know, it, it being, being, being demonized as these hateful people. And it's, it's so interesting because my work is rooted in such an unwavering love and devotion to our girls and women and that's not to say it's not also with our boys and men, but fundamentally, it is so obvious to me and historically proven that when women and girls are centered, everybody thrives. It's so obvious. And I guess where I'm going with this is this whole thing, like one of my takeaways from it is it really it really reveals to me, and I'm making this up, this may not be true, but my sense is that the women who are willing to forfeit women-only spaces probably haven't spent a lot of time in them. They must not know what happens when a, when a group of women sit together and cry out their birth trauma or what happens when women do sexual healing together and, and you know all of this stuff that can only happen in female-only spaces. They must not have touched that holy grail before. Because once you've touched it, you would fucking die for it. Like, it is the way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I that's a really great thing to be... Um, I would love to have that conversation and de- develop that much more fully. Um, that sounds like it's probably true. And I guess I'm also just reminded, I had the, I had the great fortune of studying abroad in Morocco in college. And uh, for the most part, I spent my time in cities, which were mostly Arab culture. But I spent 
a week in a Berber village, the indigenous people, I'm so sorry for the noise, the indigenous people um, of Northern Africa. And this was an incredibly patriarchal society. The roles could, they were so rigid. It was unlike anything I'd ever seen before. And at one point, some of the women brought me into a women's circle and these women just laughed and ate and talked. I had no idea what they were saying. I did not speak their (laughs) language at all, but it was just obvious to me that they just relaxed and had fun and enjoyed themselves and each other and It was really beautiful. But I guess the other thing is that even the women who have not touched the kinds of spaces that you're talking about, (laughs) they've been in a women's bathroom. They've been in a women's locker room. They've been in a women's sauna. They've they've been in spaces where there are naked women walking around, not molesting each other. We all know what it's like to be in those spaces. And women don't gawk at each other. We don't we just don't do that. We don't act I think that I think that if you're for this it's hard for those people to try on that that would be what would happen. You know, I, I mean, that's what I keep coming up against is like I said earlier, is this like, how, wh- why would you be making up that it would be like that? And, and I mean, you know, I, I, I think it was a different attorney speaking on this that I heard recently who said something along the lines of, even if you can't wrap your head around that, what you need to understand is there's now a legal precedence for it. Now, now there's no protection for it not to happen. If men and if men and boys are are welcoming with open arms, and it's it's completely illogical to believe that anyone who self IDs as a as a woman has the purest of intentions. Like we know that's not true. We've seen it. It's there. Yeah, but but we've been gaslit. Right. Our entire society has been gaslit and captured (sighs) by this entire movement that says that men and boys get to occupy any space they want. I literally, I literally was sitting around with a group of people one time and, and this issue came up. This is years ago when I was brave enough to talk about it before I got scared into shutting up before I then got brave enough to talk about it again. Um, (laughs) Welcome back. (laughs) But this, this guy, he literally, he literally said, my nephew is trans and he can pee wherever he wants to. And Mm -hmm. I was like, How's that for some male entitlement? He can pee wherever he wants to. And, yeah, and second of all, a lot of people think that. And second of all, like, what do you mean by your nephew is trans? If you're saying yeah. your nephew is trans, is he a boy or is she a girl who is claiming to, you know, like nobody actually believes any of this stuff at the end of the day. Right. We're also not seeing, from my understanding, we're not seeing like this huge push for female born people who want to be boys trying to be on the boys sports teams or trying to go into the boys bathrooms. And we certainly aren't seeing trans identified females trying to get into male prisons. Like we're not, we're not, as far as I am aware, we're not seeing it go that way. And that, that should be a good sign for, for kind of the entire point. You know, I, I've, I've talked with a couple of trans identified females in the past um, around this stuff and, and they've all, unilaterally said the same thing that they they choose to keep their female uh born identity on their license and on um yeah on their license so that when they drive if they were to ever get arrested if anything were ever to happen they would be sexed correctly into the right prison and that kind of blows the lid off the whole thing to me of of what a 
just a convenient, like just whichever way the wind is blowing, whichever way serves serves the the trans identified person. You know, not that I wish harm on anybody, right? And this is where it's like I would also want those those females to go to a female prison, of course. Um, but this, yeah, just so much of this gets boiled down to that kind of uninvestigated bleeding heart. And the thing I keep coming up against, of course, this is like I'm preaching to the choir, but just how many women are upholding the very structures of patriarchy that they think they're fighting against and that they're helping to break down. And, you know, if anyone is confused, you have to ask the question, like, who does this serve? Mm -hmm. And what does this do to girls and women? And if you can't get clear on that answer, that it lifts, protects, and serves women and girls, you're off on your feminism. Yeah, absolutely. <sighs> okay, so just to, just to finish up, make sure that we've, we've touched on the order enough. Um, anything, I, I guess I'm just kind of wondering for the person who needs a little bit of hand-holding around this, who's new to, to wrapping their heads around this idea, but who's open to it, who hasn't shut this off yet, what like connect the dots a little bit more for us around what it means um, or, or paint a little bit more of a picture of um, what this really means if this order, well, the order happened and and they do have to report back in 100 days with their plan. And um, and then and then, like you said, the Equality Act will probably get passed and then and then has to keep going. But um, I'm thinking of these examples, like I think it was Lear Keith that said, um, you know, a, a woman gets raped and tries to convict her rapist. What this will mean is the rapist can self-ID as a woman and she will have compelled speech requirement to call him a woman as she talks about how she, air quotes, used her penis to violate her. Like this is the world we are stepping into right now. Yes. So I wonder if you could speak on con compelled speech specifically, because um, that's blowing my mind. Yeah. So I'm aware of two instances in which attorneys in court have been told that they're not allowed to use medically appropriate or anatomically appropriate language. So for example, uh, in federal court, in the Court of Appeals in Philadelphia, an attorney was arguing before the court of appeals where I have worked, incidentally, and a judge who I have met and had tremendous respect for admonished the attorney not to use the phrase opposite sex because that judge found the phrase opposite sex to be confusing. That's what the judge said. The judge said you cannot use the phrase opposite sex because it's confusing. Now, Wow. I don't really know exactly why that judge finds the phrase opposite sex confusing because I checked the Supreme Court's 2015 decision in the same-sex marriage equality case and it used the phrase opposite sex seemingly without confusion. Everybody knows what this mm. means. But the mm -hmm. judge was told he's not allowed to use opposite sex. I'm sorry, the judge told the attorney that the attorney's mm -hmm. not allowed to use opposite sex. There's another case in federal court in Connecticut in which... An attorney referred to male athletes as male. And the judge said, you're not allowed to say that. Just straight up told the attorney that the attorney was not allowed to refer to male athletes as male. And Lierre's absolutely right that that is exactly where we're headed. Uh, we've already seen it in the UK. Uh, I don't know if your listeners know about Maria McLaughlin. She's, she was, a few years ago, a 60-year-old grandmother who was attending a panel event called What is Gender, I think was the title of the event. 
and a young trans identified male, uh, in other words, a man, uh, assaulted her and was charged and tried. And during the course of that trial, Maria was required to refer to her assailant as, uh, as she and her. So that has happened in the UK. We're absolutely going to see it coming. I had uh, an acquaintance recently email me and tell me that his employer is requiring every employee to put quote unquote preferred pronouns in their email signature. It's a requirement. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. if you don't do it, you can be reprimanded. So I would argue that that... Because if you don't do it, you're transphobic. Yes, right. I mean, it's one thing to have that belief, which I would disagree with, but it's another thing to... Be mandated. Yeah, to reprimand employees for not including that language in their email signature. Uh, I mean, my my girlfriend in Massachusetts just got... Uh, just got hired to be a yoga teacher on a virtual platform. And they made very clear to her that um, she will not be allowed to say woman. And she otherwise, you know, she exclusively teaches female-only yoga classes. It's because it's primarily for pregnancy and birth and postpartum, uh, which are exclusive to female-bodied people. And yeah, she just got offered this great, seemingly great job with the caveat that the word woman will not be will not be used. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know a woman who lives in Baltimore who is outspoken on this issue and she started up her own nonprofit. Uh, she, she did it all for free. She was totally volunteer for the longest time. And uh, her, her mission is to collect and deliver menstrual products to domestic violence shelters and women's homeless shelters. That's what she wants to do uh, with her life. And she had applied for a grant. She was all set, ready to get the grant. She had jumped through all the hoops she had to go through. And at the very last minute, um, opponents, I'll just say, in her community succeeded in getting that grant yanked from her. So that deprived her of livelihood. I know a woman who worked for an environmental nonprofit, and she's very outspoken on this issue, and she got fired for statements that she made during non-work hours. It had nothing to do with her employment. Her employment had to do with clean water. (laughs) I think that's happening a lot. I'm also thinking about that I recently learned, I'm wondering if you know anything about this or could speak to it better than I can, around the compelled speech within New York City's prisons that if, if if a trans-identified prisoner is misgendered and reports it, it is filed under sexual assault. And so now, and there's a lot of little weird screwy things like that, how the number, the, the data is all getting, got, getting misconstrued. And so now it's going to look like there's been this big uptick of sexual assault against trans people, but it, it actually will be reported. It will be reports of being misgendered, mispronounced. I actually don't know about that example. I will look into that. Hadn't heard. Yeah, about it was that. on. It was from the other attorney that was just on Feminist Current. She said a bunch of really interesting factoids about about that, and 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 also another obvious conclusion that we're already seeing is with the self ID in particular, the way in which sexual assault, pedophilia, you know, et cetera, will be s- skewed to look like more women are doing it. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a real mind 
mind. Absolutely. So because, you know, I mentioned early, early on in our discussion that I have a criminal justice background. So I, I happen to have come across the ways in which the FBI compiles crime statistics. And it's something that I know a little bit about. And currently the FBI still categorizes crime as being committed either by a male person or a female person. In other words, it differentiates between crime rates according to sex. Um, but if the local police departments that report crime to the FBI start reporting crimes committed by men as mm-hmm. though they were crimes committed by women, we are absolutely going to see those crime statistics start to be skewed. Wow. Yeah. And I should say the FBI is subject to President Biden's order. Right. So exactly. So even though the FBI disaggregates crime statistics by sex, according to the order, sex now has to be redefined to include gender identity. So what do you think is the solution here? We'll just we'll, we'll wrap up on that on that question, because again, maybe I've already said this now, I can't remember, but one of the, it's not really pushback, one of the the responses that I get when I talk about this in, in, in mixed spaces is uh, women will be like, well, I have trans friends and, and I, I really want to see them safe and protected. No, you have female friends and you have male friends. Okay, so I have male friends who wear dresses and get get harassed. So they're men. So let's change men's behavior and have men stop harassing other men. But this is men's mm-hmm. problem, right? Like mm-hmm. women aren't responsible for the fact that men harass other men. I know that men like to blame us for everything, <laughs> but yeah, you know, no, just knock it off. If the problem is that effeminate men are being harassed by men, then men need to fix this. This is not women's problem. And for the women who quote unquote transition, you know, of course, it is so hard being a girl going through puberty. It is so hard being a young woman. I rarely get street harassed anymore because I'm older. I'm in my 40s. And so men find me much less appetizing than they did when I was in my 20s and 30s. But oh my gosh, the level of harassment I got when I was in my 20s was just unbearable. I mean, the kinds of things, the stories we could tell, right? I was a public defender. I had a man threaten to, um, well, I had several men try to date me. But beyond that, I had a man threaten to rape me. I had a man threaten to kidnap me and pimp me out to his friends. I had a man threaten to murder me. You know, like, and I was in my early 30s and women have to go through this stuff all the time. So, you know, change men's behavior. <laughs> and then I and then I hear girls, women occasionally be like, I love, I love getting catcalled. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna die. I know, that's terrible. <laughs> but I, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought because what I was gonna say was I can understand these young women who are like, mm-hmm. I hate the experience of being female. I hate getting leered at by men. And so I understand wanting to have a more masculine appearance and cut your breasts off. Because having men stare at your breasts is like, it's just gross, right? Yeah. So, and it's scary. Yeah. So I understand why these young women are doing it. Uh, I, I hope, uh, I really hope it stops. I really hope the trend reverses itself and that we can live in a world in which, I mean, can we just imagine a world for a minute in which men don't treat women like shit? Like, can we imagine that like it's a pretty low bar 
but here we are. And that seems to me to be (laughs) the answer to your question. And, you know, can men not treat women like shit, but can men also not treat other men like shit? Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm just, I'm hearing all the, all the spiral responses I've gotten over time, you know, the not all men and the, the, just all the excuses that women are so, so programmed and then so committed to, to play out, you know, to participate in, in, in their own inequality, essentially. Sure. And there's not all men, but that really doesn't have to be said anymore. You know? Exactly. It's so old. It's so boring. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also if your listeners, please check out womensdeclaration.com. It's a global statement that women all over the world are signing. It's got 14,000 signatures, almost 15,000 signatures. And it really stakes out the importance of protecting women's sex-based rights in the law. And so I would just invite your listeners to check it out and see if they want to sign. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you so much. Womenpicketdc.org. Check it out, support, give your signature, donate what you can and join us if you can. And thank you for, for listening. Thank you for joining Kara. Thank you. I wanted to end this episode with sharing this five-minute audio clip here. This is Julia Beck speaking her opposition to the Equality Act at a committee hearing in 2019. Give it a listen. Thank you to Chair Nadler, Vice Chair Scanlon, and Ranking Member Collins for welcoming my testimony in consideration of the Equality Act. If the act passes in its current form as H.R. 5, then every right that women have fought for will cease to exist. H.R. 5 is a human rights violation. Every person in this country will lose their right to single-sex sports, shelters, grants, and loans. The law will forbid ever distinguishing between women and men. To be clear, I do support the general goal of the Equality Act, to protect people on the basis of sex, of physical and immutable biological reality to protect sexual orientation, which is based on biological sex. I object to the inclusion of gender identity. People who call themselves transgender, non-binary, and everything in between still deserve the same basic human rights that we all do. But treating someone as if they are a member of the opposite sex is not a civil right. In fact, this violates the rights of others. People cannot change sex no matter how many legal documents they alter, No matter how many dangerous surgeries they endure, this myth of changing sex has gained considerable traction, not only because of the synonymous use of the words sex and gender, but also because trans activism is extremely well-funded with billionaire donors and a very deep sea of lobbyists. Sex is a vital characteristic, gender and identity are not. Sex can never be changed, but gender changes all the time. 100 years ago, pink was a color for boys. Now pink is a girl's color. This is an example of gender, social expectations of appearance and behavior. These expectations are based on sex stereotypes that prevent people from being their authentic selves. Unfortunately, gender identity forces people back into these stereotypical sex roles. This bill defines gender identity as actual or perceived gender-related characteristics. This is a circular definition, a logical fallacy. There is no way to protect a person on the basis of their gender identity without a legitimate definition. 
Lawmakers across the country will have to consider which mannerisms, hairstyles, occupations, and clothing choices make up one gender identity or another. How is this any different from the sex stereotypes women have been fighting to break free from? How is this not regressive? The concept of gender identity suggests that there's an essentially female personality or feeling that a person can have, but no such thing as a female body. Making gender identity the law will in fact mandate a belief in a female penis or female testes. The concept of, uh, excuse me, deep down, deep down I believe you have good intentions, but gender identity only does harm. Let me tell you what happens if HR5 passes. Male rapists will go to women's prisons and will likely assault female inmates, as has already happened in the UK. Female survivors of rape will be unable to contest male presence in women's shelters. Men will dominate women's sports. Girls who would have taken first place will be denied scholastic opportunity. Women who use male pronouns to talk about men may be arrested, fined, and banned from social media platforms. Girls will stay home from school when they have their periods to avoid harassment by boys in mixed-sex toilets. Girls and women will no longer have a right to ask for female medical staff or intimate care providers, including elderly or disabled women who are at serious risk of sexual abuse. Female security officers will no longer have the right to refuse to perform pat-down or intimate searches of males who say they're female. And women undergoing security checks will no longer have the right to refuse having those searches performed by men claiming a feminine identity. For a good look at how lesbians are impacted by gender ideology and legislation, please read Lesbians at Ground Zero, a survey from the UK about the harassment of lesbians in queer spaces, which I request to be placed in the hearing record. Everything I just listed is already happening, and it's only going to get worse if gender identity is recognized in federal law. The authors of this bill have done a lot of work to make it sound like gender identity is well understood and has been around for a long time, but it's a new concept that can only ever refer to stereotypes and unverifiable claims. The witnesses for the majority will talk about medical conditions and desperate unhappiness that everyone is surely sympathetic to, but this bill doesn't reference any medical condition, and unhappiness isn't a sex class, nor is it a reasonable category of civil rights protection. Everyone experiences unhappiness. So I would ask the members to strike the gender identity provisions of this bill and instead consider protecting all forms of self-expression and loving relationships under stronger sex stereotype discrimination provisions. Sex stereotype non-discrimination could equally cover both RuPaul and Caitlyn Jenner in their rights to housing and employment, but only if we accurately recognize everyone's biological sex. I thank the Republicans who invited me here, and I urge my fellow Democrats to wake up. Please acknowledge biological reality. Thank you for your time. And that's it for today, my sisters. Check out everything we do, including one-on-one -on -one and group coaching, learn about our private membership, in-person retreats, and more on freebirthsociety.com. Our online courses are on freebirthsocietycourses.com, including our flagship course, The Complete Guide to Free Birth. Don't miss the Radical Birthkeeper School if you're ready to become the authentic midwife that women are searching for. Together we rise and the revolution starts inside each of us. Our opening song is by Shyla Ray. And now I'll leave you with our Free Birth Society theme song, Wild Woman by Aruba Red. I honor you for the wisdom you held 
the ancient traditions of plant medicine and womb magic. I feel the spirit of the ancestors as I place my hands upon my belly. This sacred portal will be honored. Eons upon light beams of survival withstanding the eradication of our power by design. I will not allow the separation of our young to be forced upon me. My sisters will no longer birth in captivity. The picket line redefined from burning our wild women to paralyzing us and drugging our babes. Strapped down in a clinical white bed, drying up the milk from our breasts, keep your needles. My family will never again be doomed to chase those dragons or your poison. We reject your fear. We choose love. Everything with intention. Death, ascension. I will fly and bring her back from the start.